This is the Benson Gregory Podcast. Interviews with leaders, changemakers, and real-world influencers. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Your support means a lot. Now, here's your host. Hi, I'm Benson Gregory. Thank you for joining us this week. Our special guests in studio today are Jim Connell. He is the former executive director of the Lexington Rescue Mission. And we're also joined by Laura Carr, who is the current executive director of the Lexington Rescue Mission. Thanks for joining me, guys. Absolutely. Good to be here. Glad to be here. For anybody who doesn't know, we're talking to a father-daughter team. And you guys have worked together at the Lexington Rescue Mission for a little while, right? Right. In fact, Laura was our one of our first three board members. Um, <laughs> Well, she hadn't graduated from college yet, but I needed three board members. And uh, so my wife and, and Laura and I were those three uh, board members to begin with until we got a real board to go. So, And then uh, Laura joined us. You to me. Yeah, I do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were a great fill-in until somebody real came along. Yes. But I did, I did have to uh, – I brought her in as AmeriCorps. Uh, person, uh, she can talk a little bit about that, uh, but I had to fire her um, mm. after the after the year, and the, but in nineteen or two thousand seven she came back and she's been at the mission since then, uh, mostly in the development capacity and in leadership. Awesome. I would like to elaborate that that firing was not for cause. <laughs> <laughs> I was let go because there was no money to keep me on. <laughs> but you stayed daughter though, right? I did you, stay you, daughter. You, I was allowed to come home for okay. Meals. You lost the position with the mission, but you kept the one with the family. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> um, so we, we, the reason why we're meeting today uh, is to kind of celebrate the transition uh, from uh, Jim into retirement, Laura, into executive director role, and to kind of look back a little bit. Uh, we didn't get an opportunity to do a banquet this year, which normally takes place in the August-September area and celebrates the awesome work that God is doing at the Lexington Rescue Mission throughout the course of the year. But uh, this is an especially super year. There's just there's so much with you retiring, with COVID and all the work that the mission has had to do through that. So there's a lot of ground to cover. And without doing a banquet, it just didn't get a chance to get highlighted. So we're on the radio talking about it. Um, For those who may have a little bit of trouble keeping up at home, let's fall all the way back to the beginning because we kind of joined our story in the middle. Let's fall back to the beginning of the story. And Jim, talk to us about where you came from, how you got the idea for a Lexington Rescue Mission. Well, I was living in Columbus, Indiana with with my family, and it turned out that um, God had been equipping me to do a work. I didn't realize at the time that he was equipping me, but uh, um, he was putting me, a former CPA, into different roles like fundraising and project management and um, giving me a taste of uh, program development with a medical clinic and some other things that uh, really began to confirm my passions and increase my skills. Um, The last job I had was a four-year job at the Hospital Foundation in Columbus, and the last half of that, I really felt somewhat empty, that I wasn't really fulfilling what I wanted to fulfill in a Christian capacity vocationally. Mm-hmm. So I began to look at the the uh, areas of my life that were really resonating and uh, I began looking for a job and had to kind of do a self-assessment. I realized that the only things that appealed to me at the time were evangelism and social outreach. So... Um, I remember going to one of the bookstores in town and picking up a book on North American Christian ministries. Hmm. And I'm flipping through there, and I'm looking. There's page after page after page of rescue missions. Mm-hmm. wasn't quite sure what rescue missions were at the time, but as I began to explore that, it really gelled in my mind that this was what God was calling me to, This because the the rescue mission is a work for the homeless and the poor. Uh, it's kind of um, offering a you know a glass of water you know in the name of the Lord to folks, and that resonated within me. And I realized that could very well be what God would be calling me to. Just happened to be at the same time. Uh, 
I was serving with my wife as the leaders of our benevolent ministry at our church, and that was also confirming a passion inside inside of me to help those less fortunate. So with this combination of discontent with where, where I was at and this passion that was going unchecked, um, it, it seemed to come together, and we began to... Um, figure out that maybe God would be calling me to rescue mission work. So I call the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions. Um, right now it's called CityGate Network. They've changed their, ma- their name. But I asked the expansion director what um, advice might they have for someone who feels like they could be called to starting a mission. I'd had enough administrative experience that I thought God may, might use me to start a mission. Mm-hmm. So they suggested that I come out to a, uh, a regional training conference, and maybe that would be a time of confirmation for me. And um, so I, fall of 2000, I went to Buffalo, New York for about a four-day conference, and I got to meet people that had started missions and run missions. And I left there knowing that this could have been the, the hardest work I ever did, but it was the right work. And so, what, what kind of an organization is that? Are they... How closely governed, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask, because I'm thinking about is it, is, it, is the, the Lexington Rescue Mission kind of like a franchise, or is it like a, a church involved in a denomination? Equate that to something it's I might really understand. It's really a professional association, a networking association, so okay. there's no governance involved. To be a member, you, you subscribe to the Statement of Faith, and you generally are, do, are engaged in work similar to other rescue missions, but it's not a governing body. I and see. So uh, it was great for us, for me, to network and learn more about rescue mission work as I got involved in that. So um, I began to talk to a couple regional presidents um, about where, not too far from home, could use a rescue mission, some city that was large enough to support a, a mission, but, uh, you know, didn't have one. And so as I looked around and I found out that uh, Lexington had never had a rescue mission, that wasn't too far from home. Okay, so, now you're kind of glossing over this. <laughs> uh, what I'm hearing is here's a guy who is just easily open to the Lord's leading on changing careers, starting up an entirely brand new from scratch nonprofit ministry, and uprooting his family and moving to an entirely different portion of the country, just whatever. And you're doing this like, yeah, Noah built an ark and got two of every animal, and you know it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and it would all worked out. But I mean, come on, what, how, what was going through your head? What, how, how? Okay, forget it. You're you're clearly going to be a nuts and bolts guy. You tell me, Laura, from an emotional standpoint. How was this impacting the family? What was your mom thinking through this? What were you thinking through this as dad suddenly going, I think I'm going to start a mission, a, re- a rescue mission of some kind? Well, I, I can't speak for my mom uh, because I was I was actually away at college at the time, so I was not there when dad told her and they talked about it. Although I do know that she, was, she supported it, and that had not been the case with every idea that dad had brought to her. So, um, But she, was, she did support um, the work. But when they came and um, told me uh, on Parents Weekend in Valparaiso University where I was, they brought my brother and I and uh, told me what was going on and uh, what they planned to do. We were a little shocked, uh, to say the least, uh, because it was not something that we expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents had never been involved in full-time vocational ministry. They had been very active in our church growing up, but not not in a professional way. And um, and yet, at the same time, there was an excitement about it because we, we kind of knew God was doing something. And so it was clear that this was it was clearly a call from God because nobody would do this on their own. (laughs) (laughs) Not any sane person. (laughs) Clearly, clearly God was in it. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, So meanwhile, since we know how the story kind of comes to date. Mm -hmm. So let's let's do a little bit of jumping here. You were at college. What were you going to college for? Well, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I studied, I, ha- I was a double major in English and journalism communications, but I focused on print journalism, which, you know, is a flourishing industry yes. uh, to get into. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. And so I actually, you know, was very involved in the student newspaper and worked in that 
capacity for four years. And then when I graduated, I took a job as a general assignment reporter for a newspaper in Southern Indiana. And um, my beat was primarily county government, um, but I covered a lot of different things as a general assignment reporter. Okay. I don't think I'm, I've known you for both for a number of years, Mm -hmm. 10 plus years or so. Um, I don't think I'm going on a limb by saying you're an introvert, right? (laughs) Total introvert. Jim, you're an introvert as well, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, isn't it weird that God would call introverts into the positions that you're in? Yes, very much so. And he's forced, I know, at least for me, you know, it's like he's forced me to, um, interact with people in every capacity of every job he's ever given me so to the point where now i'm i'm much more extroverted i think just by the nature of the work that he's called me to mm-hmm. i want to interject that when <laughs> laura was in high school if she had to make a phone call to somebody dad could you call this person <laughs> now i'm calling her <laughs> you call this person and, and, and meanwhile yeah. i've lost count on how many times i've seen you on tv yeah uh how many groups i've seen you talk to and you, you're just you're you handle it very smoothly both of you do it's it's very smooth and natural for you to be in front of a, a crowd of several hundred people yeah well being a reporter got me outside of my comfort zone because every day you have to ask people uncomfortable questions that they don't want to answer and <laughs> you and you have to do it because it's their job your job and so doing that for about six years um was you know it was a good at learning experience but then um when i went to work for united way of the bluegrass here locally that was really where i got my baptism by fire for public speaking because mm-hmm. i had to speak to groups mostly at workplaces about giving mm-hmm. um usually every day for multiple shifts a day and so i was um when i went into that job i would get physically ill at the thought of having to speak oh, publicly no. wow. um and they asked me in the interview you know how comfortable i was and i was so desperate for a job you i kind of played it off lie. and i was like oh i'm fine <laughs> yeah. but really i was terrified <laughs> And so the first time I had to go speak publicly, I thought I was just going to, I wasn't going to make it. And, um, but after a year of doing that, that job, it was like God was preparing me uh, for what he knew I was going to have to do uh, with the mission, which is a lot more public engagement. I think people often don't see, and the reason I wanted to touch on that mm-hmm. is to show a little bit of the backstory. Yeah. I'm reminded of the the old saying that, you know, God doesn't call the qualified, yeah. he qualifies the <laughs> Exactly. Call. And that's so often the case. Yeah. But people look at, and, and I've, I've heard other people say it, they look at the Lexington Rescue Mission, and they're like, oh, they, they have it so good. <laughs> you know, they have this great facility, they have these great people, they have this great team, they just, they have it so easy, it's so easy for them. <laughs> It's like, oh, yes. And it's always been like that. <laughs> just roses and sunshine. I'm glad it looks that way, way. You know, from the outside Well, that's the problem. When you're too good at what you're doing, people think it's easy. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's, let's get back to Indiana. So here you are, Jim. You're having this, this, this conversation with God, basically, about, hey, sure, I'll do whatever you want. So you're talking to the Association of, uh, of Rescue Missions and asking them where they need a mission or where a mission would flourish right and uh, as I talked to these uh, regional uh, presidents um, I went up to Kokomo and spoke to a regional president up there and went to uh, 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 Knoxville and and spoke to the uh, kind of the southern region uh, regional president and you know he he said you know Lexington has never really had a rescue mission now, of course, they, we have homeless service providers, but mm-hmm. in terms of a faith-based Christian rescue mission, Lexington never had one. Well, Lexington's large enough to, to support a rescue mission. So I came to town, uh, it was around Christmas time of 2000, to talk to some pastors and social service providers and find out um, a little about the lay of the land, you know, what, what was really going on. Uh, in Lexington. Uh, I'd also heard that Columbus, Ohio uh, needed a mission and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Well, Ann Arbor, Michigan was a little bit like my Nineveh. I I really (laughs) didn't care to go north. (laughs) I understand that. So I didn't even visit (laughs) that. Anybody who's been there knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, Columbus, Ohio was a little bit of a hot potato politically and uh, uh, seemed like it could be uh, just very difficult. So I, I really focused my research on Lexington and uh, found out that at, they were telling me that on any given night, at least a thousand were homeless. Wow! And that uh, uh, when you looked at the um, the providers, um, you had the Salvation Army basically, and you had the Hope Center. Salvation 
Salvation Army was working with the women and families. Hope Center was working with the single male population. Um, I was reading some of the newspaper articles online and found out that the Hope Center um, had uh, a couple hundred people on a cold winter night sleeping, and yet they only had 115 beds. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, placing people on in mats on the floor, and it just seemed to me like there needed to be a lot more emphasis on uh, the single male homeless population. So that's kind of what I prayed about that, talked to Becky about that. Um, and um, that's where we felt like God was calling us to help meet that need. Uh, what was interesting we, is we really had no money to speak of, and we didn't um, know anybody to speak of in Lexington. So it was really, uh, if God wasn't going to be a part of this, it'd be a short trip to Lexington. Yeah. <laughs> but part of my excited anticipation was the fact that um, God had, would have to show up for this to be successful. If mm-hmm. he's calling me to this, he'd have to show up. He'd, and so I was kind of excited to see how he would do this. Um, now, that was before I moved. <laughs> <laughs> After I moved, I'm saying, Lord, what's plan B? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, that looks like an exciting adventure. I can't wait to go on that. <laughs> Day one of the adventure. Are we done yet? <laughs> I could use some help. <laughs> So what kind of reception did you get when you arrived in Lexington? It was quite good. I uh, uh, put a flyer out and sent it to all the churches about uh, an information meeting at the public library to talk about this vision of bringing a uh, uh, rescue mission to town. And what year was this? This was 2001, 2002? 2001. Okay. actually moved on April Fool's Day of 2001. <laughs> Some people did think I was a fool. <laughs> but I, in May, I had an information meeting, and out of that meeting, uh, two of my three board members uh, came from that that uh, board meeting. Both of them were pastors. Mm-hmm. And the and third Laura, one... Laura was the third one? <laughs> I, was, I was pushed aside at this point. Oh, that's when you got yeah, pushed I out. Yeah, got pushed out at this point. Oh, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the story of yeah. my life. Thanks for, thanks for your help. See ya. <laughs> and the, the third uh, board member was a pastor, too. So I got all three pa- uh, board members as pastors. I found out later uh, from the association that you should never bring a pastor on your board. <laughs> but it worked for us. So, so the first decision you made was wrong. Okay. And we continue to bring pastors on our board. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it works yeah. for us. Well, I mean, it seems like that would be a natural yeah. doorway into getting a whole group of people, yeah. potentially, to help out with your, the mission, right? It's exactly. just divided loyalties. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's kind of their rationale for that. Uh, okay. But... It worked out fine for us. The people that we brought on the board had a passion for us being successful. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the big thing. And that's one thing you have enjoyed uh, the whole time, I assume, that you've been in Lexington, is a lot of support from the local churches. Yes. We've mm-hmm. had a lot of support. And, and sometimes the support comes from the churches that you think are least likely to, to support you. Mm-hmm. Some of the ones that you think are, are no-brainers, sometimes they're a little slow in coming around. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we have uh, churches from kind of all across the denominational spectrum, um, and it's I think one of the best things about working at the mission is we get to work alongside of Christians from every stream of Christianity, you know, that mm-hmm. that can come and come, um, just kind of putting aside all those denominational differences and saying we just want to do this work, you know, under the cross, and we all have that in common. So, now, since you did bring up Christian, mm-hmm. are there any people who volunteer with the mission, who work with the mission regularly that you see support from who are not Christian? Yeah, we actually have um, a number of supporters who are not Christian, but they value the work that we're doing and mm-hmm. they, they see that value. Um, and sometimes they'll write us notes just to let us know that, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, we're, we're not uh, people of faith, but we, we think you're doing good work. Um, and we get people that want to come volunteer in that capacity and um, particularly a lot of young people and students that want to come and serve. And and so for us, that's part of our ministry is, vol- you know, the volunteers that we have, um, being able to minister to them um, spiritually and um, really be a witness to them as much as to our clients. You mentioned about a thousand people a night mm-hmm. back in 2001 who were homeless, who were sleeping on the streets. What, what's that number look like today? Well, it's been interesting because after I moved, that those numbers began to climb. It got up to about 1,500, 1,600. Uh, and then uh, over the past uh, 
decade, it's really declined somewhat. I think the latest count is, what, 650? It was um, like 685, I think. 685 mm-hmm. is the point in time count that we do, the community mm-hmm. does for mm-hmm. HUD purposes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, I think part of what's happened is the city has brought in a coordinator uh, for homeless intervention and prevention, and that office has really been very instrumental in, some, in helping people uh, providers work more coordinated and I think that's paid off somewhat so there's still a lot of people we, we serve not just the homeless we serve those that are suffering from the symptoms of poverty and uh, so you know if you do a point in time count in our dining room which we do once in a while to figure out who we're serving we find that at least half of the people um, are homeless and the other half are roughly maybe marginally housed uh, and suffering mm-hmm. from poverty. Okay, this seems like a good opportunity to segue into some of the, the different areas that the mission works. Because mm-hmm. I don't know anybody other than probably you two who know everything that the mission does. <laughs> I'm not sure we even know everything. <laughs> I am continually, so I feel like I know a fair amount. Uh, but I am continually surprised because I'll, I'll hear of something like, oh, I didn't realize they did that. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk a, a, about a lot of those mm-hmm. then, if you don't know all of them. Uh, Laura, you want to? Yeah. And start. and I assume when you started, though, when, when you first rolled in and first opened your doors as a Lexington Rescue Mission, it was probably just primarily a feeding ministry. Yes, a feeding and clothing ministry. Uh, we had uh, secured the, uh, the house that's near 7th Street and Limestone. We call that the Potter's House. Mm-hmm. And for the first uh, couple of years or so, that was strictly, um, you know, we, we did chapel, we did meals, we did clothing distribution, and uh, we did out kind of a, a recovery group that for people that would come in uh, okay. each week and uh, participate in that. So so you started off with a three-prong approach instead of two, mm-hmm. instead of just clothing or feeding and clothing, you, you're doing recovery as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, as you get to know the people and you start finding out what their needs are, you're going to start adding services. And as volunteers come in and say, hey, I can do X, mm-hmm. then you start adding a service. Yeah. So how many different prongs or services do you think there are now if you just had to like guess at a number well we have um four different service divisions um that we've kind of categorized everything under Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a number of programs within those divisions so i don't even know a lot lot. but i could talk about kind of some of those key areas okay give me Uh, give me the four prongs so okay so the the four divisions um we have our outreach services so those are really focused on Um, just what it sounds like, reaching out to people who are struggling with poverty and homelessness, meeting some of those basic needs that they have. And that includes everything from our community meals that we do every day to um, help with um, clothing and hygiene and um, just basic needs that people have and also kind of navigating different benefit programs and government programs that they may need help navigating. And then um, we also, under our outreach services, we help people who are experiencing homelessness move into housing. And we do that by finding affordable housing and uh, paying that first month's rent. They pay the security deposit. And then we provide some ongoing case management to help them stabilize. Let's pause there for a quick Mm -hmm. second. I I think we need to elaborate on a little something. Sure. I I don't know that people, and I didn't understand it really until I started talking to you guys, I don't know that I understand homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of people don't Mm -hmm. either. We think homeless, we imagine the guy downtown at Phoenix Park Mm -hmm. carrying all of his stuff or pushing a grocery cart. Yeah. Um, I have recently learned uh, that there are homeless camps around Lexington. Yeah. In wooded areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a couple near my home Mm. uh, where people are living literally in the woods with their belongings. Yeah. Um, that's what we think of as homelessness, and that is homelessness, mm-hmm. but that's not all of it. No, in fact, that's a very small percentage of the homeless population. Most people who are homeless are not chronically homeless. And a lot of the folks that you might see downtown, for instance, pushing a card or things like that, they may be chronically homeless, where they've been homeless for over a year or two. But um, most people who are homeless in Lexington, it's more sporadic, and it's that they just really are, are walking that very thin line and barely able to make ends meet and so one thing comes in and interrupts that 
and all of a sudden they're evicted and they have nowhere to go and they may not have a family or safety net that they, that can put them up somewhere and so well, they end up in a shelter situation and some of them are sleeping on a friend's couch yeah right? that, exactly they're doubled up with friends um sometimes they're sleeping in a vehicle and so they really go unnoticed because they're not even going into a shelter um especially couples that don't want to be separated or families that don't want to go live in different places and so um and children are often involved in that, yes, right? Yes, exactly. That, so, that's where you start to see a, a certain portion of the children. Yeah, a lot of kids that aren't staying at the Salvation Army here locally, um, if they're unsheltered, they tend to either be doubled up with another family or friends sleeping on a floor or a couch, or they're sleeping out of a vehicle. So homeless doesn't necessarily mean living on a street. No, definitely not. Yeah, it's it's kind of all kinds of situations, but the, there's no real fixed permanent address gotcha yeah. i just wanted to address that because yeah. i'm sure people had that same misconception that i did exactly and so with our homeless intervention program one of the beauties of that is because we're not relying on federal funds for that we can we can house people with that money that are not considered homeless by the government so the government well hud um, the housing and urban development doesn't classify people who are sleeping on a floor of somebody's apartment as homeless even though they may they're very well homeless and in fact the department of education counts them as homeless so the government within itself has different classifications Hmm. but because we're not funding that program with hud dollars we can we can house people that fall through the cracks of those federal programs and would not have funds to be able to get into housing and so that's one of the beauties of what we're able to do at the mission is we can take folks that otherwise would not be able to access some of the government funds available and we'll put them up and and help them to get into housing okay so um in fact in august of this year i think we housed eight homeless households and so um you know it's a big part of what we're doing at the mission is moving people into housing, getting them furniture, and really trying to walk alongside them and minister to their needs. Because you know if they're struggling with homelessness, there's usually other things going on. And um, it's a perfect opportunity for us to minister to the deeper needs of what they've got going on in their life. And in our outreach services, that's a key component. You know, we're really trying to build relationships with people and to draw them into ministering to those emotional and spiritual needs. And we offer pastoral counseling, individual pastoral counseling, as well as chapel services. And we have a discipleship group called Steady Hands that meets once a week. And in all of those things, it's all woven together. Um, Even in our walk-in hours where people come just to meet with a social worker, everybody that comes in, we offer prayer and we try to um, see how we can minister spiritually to them. And all that's woven together really to try to meet the needs of the whole person. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't want people to come in and think they're just a number or they're just whatever their need is. You right. know, we know that each person is created in the image of God and is precious and we want them to know that we value them and love them when they come in the door. That's awesome. Yep. So that's our outreach service division. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's going on and it's a very busy component of what we've got at the rescue mission. Then we have our restorative services, um, which is basically transitional housing. Um, so we have two men's homes. One is the Potter's House and one is the House of Hope. Um, and we are getting ready to open a women's house in the next month. So that's really exciting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so um, we have 32 beds, I think, between the men's houses and the women's house will have 11 beds. And um, so with those guys, they're coming out of homelessness, but they're also coming out of incarceration. Um, Sometimes they're finishing up a recovery program. In any case, they're not really ready to live on their own yet, and they need that help in order to find employment, to build a budget, and to um, oftentimes maintain sobriety, reconnect with family. And so we work on each individual resident's case plan with them, help them set goals, and then um, develop strategies to achieve those goals. And so, you know, the amazing thing is right now, is every bed that we have is full. And um, we are, in fact, overflowing to the point that we're trying to figure out an option for phase three for our men's program because um, we don't really want to just move guys along before they're ready. Um, But at the same time, we have a lot of people that want to get in. And so we're trying to look at what we can do to move these guys into some more permanent housing situation where we could still provide supportive services. So that's kind of on the horizon with our restorative services. And then um, we have our employment division, which is where we help train people in job skills and then help them get jobs. And um, 
it's cool right now. You know, we've got several employers that are working with us to employ our folks that have gone through our Jobs for Life program. And so those guys are not just learning about job skills in a classroom setting, but they're actually getting to practice it and make wage and build references. And then Mm -hmm. we're able to see how they do in a workplace setting and help coach them. And then finally, we have our reentry division, which goes into the jails and prisons and does classes, um, the Jobs for Life class, as well as a class called the Genesis Process that focuses on relapse prevention. And then as people get out, we try to pair them with mentors in the community from churches that can help walk alongside them. And then we also have case management to help support them and make sure they have a successful transition home. Wow. Well, I'm completely overwhelmed. I don't know about you. Jim? If you could talk to yourself back in 2001, you know, would you would you think you would be surprised to hear that, yeah, this is what we're doing now. This is this is where everything is. Yes. What's interesting is I had this image of what I was going to be building and because I had visited some of the other missions, which is our large brick and mortar type projects with a lot of uh, bunk beds uh, in a dormitory style and very little other kind of services that Laura was talking about. Um, And that's what I viewed uh, God was bringing me to build. But with the mix of service providers we have in town, that didn't fit the, uh, you know, the picture God had in mind for me. Mm -hmm. So uh, we we found out that uh, uh, he, he put us in a place where we, we got this building. We didn't know if we ought to use it for overnight shelter or program. And when we figured out that, hey, um, you know, we don't need a overnight shelter to feed a, a recovery program because of the mix of providers we have in town, we, we ended up using it when we opened up our upstairs for sleeping uh, lodging facilities, we opened it up as a recovery program. Mm-hmm. And so um, without a shelter, that's very unheard of in most missions. Uh, you know, the shelter feeds the uh, right. recovery program. Uh, so it worked out well for us. Um, and uh, and then lots of the twists and turns uh, really focused on more outreach than, than what we were doing with residential. Uh, facility. So the whole thing was a little surprising to me, but I believe God was just um, uh, making us, fitting us into the environment that we were in. So uh, I have this saying that, um, you know, my plans are written in jello. <laughs> I have to be flexible. And, uh-huh. and, and the board and I need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guiding and just realizing that he's the one that's directing this mission. It's not, you know, he, we're along for the ride and try to be faithful, but he's the one driving the agenda and the, the, the future forward. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot there on exactly. our plan versus God's plan. Mm-hmm. And and why aren't things going the way I want them to to accomplish <laughs> this thing that God wants me to accomplish? Because God wants you to accomplish this over here. Exactly. Which yeah. is yeah. a million times better than and anything. What's interesting, too, is that I'm a former CPA uh-huh. and a, also a former certified uh, financial planner. So I did a lot of wealth management. <laughs> Don't use that much of those skills <laughs> <laughs> in this area. But... I, as a former uh, CFO of a not, uh, community mental health center in Columbus, uh, Indiana, I realized how much money you should have in the bank to uh, fund the operations for the month, and I never had that kind of money. Uh-huh. <laughs> so God been, has stretched uh, my faith over the last uh, number of years as he's seen, has, as he's shown me how he's ma- making this thing work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a conventional way, but his way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've always been told that, you know, God chooses people to do things so that, you know, and, and he does them in a certain way so that he gets the glory. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, again, it's not you bring in the, be- the best, the brightest, the richest mm-hmm. and have them do it, then they would get the glory. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So. He, uh, you know, our mission statement starts with we exist to glorify God. Everything else comes after that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really what it all should point back to. You know, no matter what yeah. happens at Lexington Rescue Mission, our goal is that God will be glorified in it. If you're just joining us, we are talking today with uh, Laura Carr and Jim Connell from the Lexington Rescue Mission. I still have to concentrate to get your name right. <laughs> you threw me when you got married a few years ago. Um, so we are, we're caught up 
more or less to present day mm-hmm. with with you, Jim. But we got to jump over to Laura. Mm-hmm. So here you are with this awesome degree. Do, do, uh, you you were a journalism and a what was it? I Engli- forgot English, English, the most versatile major. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you you have been working outside of the nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. but then you ended up in the nonprofit sector. When did you eventually come on full time working for the Lexington Rescue Mission? That's a great question. Um, it's a little convoluted. So I moved down here in 2004 to do a year of AmeriCorps at the mission. And I thought it would be a great year to help my mom and dad out and um, get some experience and move on and do something else. Mm-hmm. And um, in that year, I really worked directly with clients. We were a very small organization at that time. So I was the receptionist. I was the case manager uh, for anybody that came in um, needing help with rent and utility assistance. I administered all that. And I also helped um, kind of find resources for people that needed, you know, they're trying to get a prescription filled or they needed to know where to go for um, diapers, you know, those those kinds of things. And so um, so I just kind of handled traffic as it came in and worked with folks with various needs that they had. And um, I did not have any of that experience. My experience was all in media and writing and all that kind of stuff. And so um, but I loved it. It was a great experience for me. And I really fell in love with the ministry of the mission and the work that it was doing and the folks that we serve. And um, and so even though I wasn't able to stay after that year was up with AmeriCorps, when the opportunity arose in 2007 to come back and join the team as the development director, it seemed like the, a perfect fit because that allowed me to use my, my skills in writing and communications to support the ministry and grow the ministry um, and further it. But I wasn't necessarily working directly with clients, which I knew I probably had limited capacity to do because my patience is not as great as some of our case workers. So. <laughs> but again, you're an introvert, and here you are in charge of asking people for money. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I, I never would have thought I'd be the one in charge of fundraising for sure. Um, but, you know, God has a sense of humor. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you fell into that very well. Mm-hmm. And, and then with grant writing and mm-hmm. everything that you do in that regard, yeah. your journalism background and your English background really came into play, right? Yeah, it did. You know, surprisingly. And when I was in college, I had taken a job at a community center in Columbus. Uh, a friend of mine from high school, his mom was the executive director and I begged her for a job and she was kind enough to give me a job. And so I, uh, she, the second summer I worked there, she asked me to write grants so they could start an after school program because she knew I was an English major. She figured I could write, you know, I could figure it out. I didn't even know what a grant was. And so I, um, I learned a lot that summer and my dad had written grants for the hospital foundation. So he was experienced in that. He helped me, um, learn how to edit those and, um, and so that was a really great experience, and I did was able to raise some money for that. And then when I worked at the paper, I um, got involved with a group that was starting a halfway house, very similar to the mission. And um, I was actually doing a story on them, and I was like, I really want to serve. And they're like, you really can't serve right now. What are you going to do? You know, you're a 22-year-old girl. And so um, I was like, well, I can write grants. Well, anytime you say those words, yeah. people will jump on it. You know, so, I can make money appear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so as soon as I was done with my story, they had a grant that they wanted me to write. And so I wrote a grant to the um, Indiana State Department of Commerce for them. And that was very rewarding um, experience. And again, I thought, well, that was great. And I didn't think I'd ever really use that experience again but lo and behold at the mission there's plenty of opportunities to do grant writing and and actually I ended up on the side doing contract grant writing for many years as well and so that's been a blessing um, to be able to use that skill to um, further the ministry and be able to connect with different foundations that have the same heart and the same passion and um, be able to get some of the resources that we need for the mission Mm -hmm. and when you're looking at economics Mm -hmm. um, with recessions Mm -hmm. and looking at coronaviruses and government shutdowns and things like that giving can seriously ebb and flow yeah and when you have a grant that you can count on it's very helpful for sure um but you know what it's amazing to see that despite the ups and downs and our giving is seasonal but even with that we have been blessed beyond measure with donors who are so generous oftentimes giving very sacrificially to help keep this ministry going to make sure that we can continue to feed people that are really have nowhere else to go and so um, I can't say enough for our donors because they've really stepped up particularly during these last six months Um, you know we didn't know what we were going to face with the pandemic 
um, and and we were concerned about you know what that would look like because we know so many people lost jobs or got their hours cut, but God has just shown up big time and has moved so many people to give generously, and so that's been a huge blessing. That's fantastic. Yeah. Before we talk about specifics on what's going on mm-hmm. today, uh, question for both of you, Jim, when you started Lexington Rescue Mission. Did you imagine that you would be passing on executive directorship to your daughter? And did you think when dad was starting this that this was the new family business and that you would be following in dad's footsteps and taking over? No. (laughs) In fact, I would say we never thought we could work together more than about a day. Now, do you have siblings, Laura? I do. I have a younger brother. Okay, so you're, are you the only one who's involved in the mission then, or is he involved? As he well? was involved in the early years. Uh, he he actually, um, when he was in college, he worked as a, a third shift resident supervisor for us and um, has been a volunteer many times uh, over the years for, in various capacities as well. But you guys didn't have to, like, thumb wrestle or anything oh, for no. who's going to be the executive He director. very clearly moved out of state. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, uh, probably... Four or five years ago, one of my board members brought up in a board meeting, what happens if you get hit by a truck? What are we going to do? Um, in terms well, I hadn't of, really thought about you if I get hit by a truck. <laughs> in, in terms of leadership transition, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I had that, I, I just uh, kind of jokingly answered that, well, you know, I've got about 145 board meetings to go before I retire. <laughs> <laughs> Countdown begins. But the... the uh, one of our one of our other board members uh, is in a business where they had a generational uh, change, mm-hmm. and it went from the the fathers, a couple fathers to the sons, and and it went extremely well. And he advised our board, you know, why don't we take some intentional time to to prepare the. Uh, the mission for this leadership transition. Mm-hmm. So I think it was what three years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Three years ago, um, the board t- took seriously um, interviewing folks for you know, first internal folks, and if there's anybody from the outside, uh, in order to uh, be a successor. And um, I didn't think Laura was going to be interested uh, years and years ago. She may not remember this, but she said she had no interest in 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 being an executive director and then but the last time we talked it's like you know I'd, I'd like to look into that so uh-huh. so we she interviewed and it was re- very clear from the board that she was the person to take over she's got such good judgment and experience with the mission heart for the mission um, you know the development uh, skills that missions need and and so uh, there's no question that uh, she was the, the right person. And, of course, as a father, um, I'm so proud of her, and uh, I believe that, you know, the best years are ahead. That's awesome. Laura? <laughs> I believe the best years are ahead, too. <laughs> no, it's been a privilege to get to work with my dad, and um, I can't imagine um, doing it any other way, you know. And I, it's it's exciting to think about what's on the horizon, um, but I'm very grateful that my parents are just a phone call away because mm. even um, though my dad retired a, a couple weeks ago, I think he's already been called about every other day <laughs> with, <laughs> with a question here or there related to something. And so, um, you know, it's I know that they're still going to continue to be involved in the, the work of the ministry. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that a little bit before we went on the air, didn't we, Jim? Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, you're you're retiring from the mission. Mm-hmm as the executive director, mm-hmm. but you're still gonna be involved. Mm-hmm. And ministry mm-hmm. is not one of those things that you really walk away from, you you die from. Mm-hmm. One of the good things uh, when you retire from a ministry like this, especially if you were an administrator, you really didn't have much time to be hands-on with the, the clients that you, serve, that were, you were previously serving. Um, and so I'm looking forward to those opportunities where I can really work directly with folks that are going through the mission, finding something that matches my skill level and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, volunteering in that capacity, trying to stay out of Laura's hair. <laughs> <laughs> One of my dad's favorite things he's done in the last few years is he um, he's doing a Bible study every Sunday night with residents that wanted to do it. And usually it's just a handful of, of guys. Um, but I know that he really enjoyed that and he made that a priority. And that had to go, kind of go on hiatus during COVID, as everything did um, for a lot of um 
the world, but um, I know that that's kind of his heart is really um, ministering to, to our, uh, our clients. And so I look forward to seeing how he wants to get involved in the future. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the past few months uh, has been a long couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> it's been difficult on all of us in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, I imagine it has been in some ways maybe not really noticed by some of the people that you, you deal with. Uh, some of the clients that you see, and some of them have probably been hit extra, extra hard. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. In the beginning of the pandemic, I remember one morning as this was like the first week or two where everything we had kind of, we had sent home half of our staff that were older, had health conditions and couldn't be on site. And um, and I was talking to some of the guys who were coming in for coffee and uh, pastries in the morning. And, um, and they're like, um, you know, COVID, that's just a rich person's disease. That ain't coming into the hood. And I was like, it's going to come everywhere. <laughs> we all need to be careful. And so, you know, while that mentality, especially early on, was like, oh, it can't touch us. Um, you know, we've had to continue to be pretty vigilant and make sure that we're we're following all the precautions that are out there Um issued by the, the state and the city and making sure that we're we're doing everything we need to do. And so at this point, I think most of our clients have kind of gotten used to that. Um, but it's it's a challenge because we're still having to serve meals as carry out meals. And um, we can't have a lot of people in the building to do certain things. And so um, it's, you know, we've had to readjust. It feels like every other day, you know, how we do things. Um, but we are seeing a lot of people, first time people that haven't ever come to the mission, mm-hmm. um, for services. And, you know, a lot of that is people that just haven't been in the situation before right. and they don't know where to go for help, but they heard that they could come to the mission. And so I, I was looking at the numbers just for the first six months and it was like, we have had, I think 800 and something new guests, you know? Oh, and, wow. and so when you think about that and what that means, you know, a lot of people are, um, really struggling with hunger or with just making ends meet, you know, for the first time. So it's a blessing because we've been um, blessed with some extra support that's allowed us to do some things outside of the box that we normally aren't able to do to meet some of the needs that aren't being met. One example is, you know, with all the the DMVs being shut down um, and all that, well, a lot of our clients and guests are coming out of jail and prison and have no ID, so they can't get a job Mm -hmm. without an ID. They can't get an apartment. Um, It really leaves them stuck and in a really desperate situation. And, um, And so we finally were able to, when they opened up the office in Frankfurt, um, we started taking van loads of clients down there um, at 7 a.m. every week so that we can make sure that they get an ID. Oh, wow. And so we're still doing that to this day just because they have to have some way to get an ID. And mm-hmm. now they know us so well at Frankfurt. They, they usher us in. You know, we've got our own, like, little line that we get to go to, and we, we pay for all of our folks to get their IDs. And so um, – but that's just one example of, you know, if something's not working, we need to find a way to make it work yeah. and, you know, make sure that the folks that are getting their needs taken care of. It's neat that those are opportunities in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And yep. I mean, the coronavirus is certainly a crisis. And yep. Everything we've been through is certainly a crisis. Mm-hmm. But in those crises like that, God provides opportunities exactly. for you to serve the least of these yep. if you're just open and receptive to them. And that's certainly an example of finding a need and stepping up exactly and god has opened another huge door for us um in these last few months too which is um a company a local company bluegrass distillers which has been making hand sanitizer uh-huh. for the uh covid they started hiring our guys to do that and so we've had a ton of our residents able to have full-time work making hand sanitizer and clorox wipes and everything else and so that's been a huge blessing because these guys who normally would be on the bottom rung of the employment ladder are have more work than they know what to do with and so that's been huge that's fantastic yeah So you're seeing probably a lot of people who, uh, I mean, it's well documented that unemployment didn't work the way it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. took a long time for it to kick in. Uh, For some people, it still hasn't, I understand. So we saw people probably showing up who needed some help. Exactly. who you know had a good job for until just recently exactly and now suddenly in a very first time situation of needing a little bit of a handout yep. or hand up yep and we're able to put them to work so that's that's a huge blessing and so uh, p- uh psa to any company out there looking to hire folks we uh, we've got great workers <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> you can contact us and we can put put uh, put our people to work. Now, is that part of the Jobs for Life program? It is. is. That, I mean, yep. do they regularly are contacting employers anyway. Yep. So, so it's not just a now situation. It's a this is an all the time. You guys so, are practically an employment agency, right? Yeah. I mean, we basically operate as a staffing service, and um, and so it's kind of a temp to hire model, so that people businesses can test out employees through us and not have to go through all the process of hiring and bringing on somebody only to have them not work out. And so they can try people out for a period of time. And then um, if they work out, great, they can hire them on. And so for us, that's a great way that we can work more closely with our clients on work skills, making sure that they're doing what they need to do and get them a job. And then on the um, on the flip side of that, it brings in a little bit of revenue for the mission to come back and support the employment program. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a, a big blessing. Jim, how's it feel sitting here watching your daughter talk about the organization that you founded and knowing that she's taking it into the future? I feel so comfortable. (laughs) I bet you do. (laughs) You got to feel proud, though, too, right? I mean, Uh, there's some fatherly pride here looking at your daughter thinking, wow, she's doing a fantastic job. I I tell her I've taught her everything she knows, and she tells me she's taught me everything I know. When we worked together for 13 years, uh, you you, uh, can say these things to one another. And in fact, in those last couple months, we were actually, we were so out of space at the outreach center before, right before COVID hit and he had to move his office to the house. Um, that we were actually moved into the same office, sharing this uh, tiny little space, and I had the, his corner table to put my my tiny computer on. And so, um, so anyway, we have worked very closely together. <laughs> All right, so the break is good. Looking yeah, forward to the break. Yeah, exactly. We'll do a follow up in a year, and maybe then we'll get the answers that I'm looking for. All right. So, uh, where's it going? Well, um, as I mentioned before, one really exciting thing that's on the immediate horizon is opening our women's house, which we're getting ready to open this fall in downtown Lexington. And that will be a real blessing for women who are um, need that helping hand up. Um, we also have a lot of opportunities with our employment services. Um, in addition to some of the things I was talking about before, um, we've started our own little kind of landscaping uh, thing. So we're um, sending guys to maintain properties for people that need help uh, doing lawn mowing and you know weed eating and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. so um, we have some opportunities to grow that little business, and that's exciting because some of the folks that we're serving uh, just because of their background have a really hard time getting a job. So when we can employ them through the mission, uh-huh. it's really great because then there's no barrier to them getting a job and getting some experience. And so that's a huge opportunity um, that's coming up. And then, you know, with our houses busting at the seams for the men's houses, um, the next big thing with that is really our phase three of our programming, looking at um, getting another facility that we could um, potentially move some of the guys who've been with us maybe for a year into that um, third phase so that they can be more permanently housed in that facility, um, but still have some support. So those are just a few things that are in the next few months really going to be hopefully taking off and... um, you never know what the next year's will hold. <laughs> you know, I had no idea when we started the mission what it was going to look like. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I'm sure that I have no idea what it will look like <laughs> 20 years from now. <laughs> so I just trust that God will lead where he wants us to go. And you guys have evolved quite a bit. Yes. Th- there, yeah. there have been some things that you thought were going to take off that yeah, didn't. Exactly. I mean, we've, right? we've had, we had a medical clinic for 10 years. We had a thrift store for, I don't know, 10 or 12 oh. years. Um, we've had all kinds of things over the years that we've done. Um, and really it's a matter of sometimes things are needed for a season right? and some, and then that season is done. And so it's always evaluating where are the needs and how can we make sure that we're still adaptable enough to meet those needs as we get bigger, it gets a little harder to be that nimble, but our hope is that we can always continue to assess and, and then meet the needs as they arise and, um, really focused on kind of the common barriers that people have. Um, so things like housing and employment and, and stuff like that. I think it's super important for a leader to be able to uh, basically divorce themselves of any emotional connection. Yes. And and really look at a thrift store and say, do we still need to mm-hmm. keep this? Yeah. And that had to be difficult to cut that. It had to be difficult to cut the, uh, the, the medical side. Yeah. But if that's what needs to be done. Yep. It's heart-wrenching. I think it's a real testament, yeah. though, that you're able to do that. It's heart-wrenching to cut some of those services. Last year, we had to end a 10-year program that we had been doing sack meals at a uh, day labor place um, for me- for workers. And we were 
financially in a place where it, we, we had to cut some places. And we looked at the need that we were seeing at the outreach center, and we needed to provide meals more days a week at the outreach center. And those meals are not as costly because we can, it doesn't have to be prepackaged. It didn't until recently have to right. be prepackaged. And so, um, so as we had to look at that, you know, and, and now it, it made perfect sense because now we're able to feed so many more people at the outreach center. But um, it, it had it was pruning, you know, it was really God saying like, OK, that was that for that season. I'm you know, we're pruning this so we can flourish and grow in this other area. Mm-hmm. Jim, you've created quite the legacy. Um, thanks. And I think one of the things I feel really good about is Laura wants to make sure that the mission does not drift. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually done a, a, a board book study on mission drift. And uh, our main thing is we want to be God's hands and feet doing the, you know, bringing hope to people that need uh, Christ. And so we don't want to get so focused on doing the practical helps that we lose sight of the reason we were called to do this in the beginning. And so we're we're all, the board and Laura um, and the leadership team, are vested in keeping the mission this, the same, you know, focus, making sure that everything we do has a Christ-centered focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For anybody who's listening and is suddenly interested in a whole area of ministry and serving the community, um, talk to me about some of the areas that you need, like physical volunteers mm-hmm. that folks can come in and help, the items that mm-hmm. you need, and then, of course, talk to me about monetary donations. Yeah, so, um, you know, we do need volunteers right now. Um, Because of the way things are, we're actually, we need more volunteers than we did before. We have a lot of restaurants that have started donating food so that it doesn't go to waste, which is a huge blessing, but means that we have to drive all over town to pick these things up (laughs) on a weekly basis. And so we need volunteers that just want to drive and pick up food donations and bring them to the mission, help rescue food. We need volunteers that can help keep up um, lawns at the at the mission and, and keep our, our grounds looking nice because everything is carry out. We've got a lot of styrofoam containers and bottles of water and all that kind of stuff. We find things strewn all across the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the parking lot. And so, you know, we want to keep our facility looking nice and welcoming for people. And so we need people that can help take care of that stuff. Um, when our staff is really focused on, you know, making sure that our clients are getting their needs met. We need uh, volunteers that want to help with our walk-in hours and, and meet one-on-one with our guests and pray with them. Um, and people to help with coffee service in the morning and pour coffee. We can't, right now we can't have people pouring their own coffee. Uh, yeah. And so um, that means extra volunteers that are needed to do that kind of thing. So a big area, though, that we're really growing in and it's going to grow even more of the next year is mentoring. Um, We're really trying to engage people, um, our residents, as well as people that are coming out of the jails and prisons and families that we're housing into homes. We really want to pair them with mentors who can walk alongside and just be that friend, you know, an emotional support, spiritual support. And um, and so that's a huge area that we really want people to um, volunteer in. And there's really no better investment of your time than to spend that time one-on-one with somebody who's open to it. And, and so um, mentoring is a huge opportunity for us. And as we are getting more and more invitations to teach Jobs for Life classes, um, we're actually getting ready to start a new Jobs for Life class next week at Voices of Hope downtown. Um, we need volunteers who are willing to teach those classes. Some of our older volunteers who used to teach those classes aren't able to right now. And so we need people that um, have a passion for getting people employment and, and training them up in employment um, that want to help teach those classes. So those are just a few areas, um, but we do need volunteers in each of those areas. As far as items, we are I mean, we go through food very quickly. So um all kinds of food, perishable, non-perishable. This is the time of year where a lot of gardens are in overdrive. So if you don't know what to do with all your food and you don't have time to can it or freeze it, drop it by the mission. We'll, we'll give it away to people that don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and also hygiene items. We were a lot of hygiene items we're going through. And so, um, you know, if you want to get it body wash, deodorant, those are some of the common things that we have a need for backpacks. And as we get into the fall, um, we're going to be needing coats um, and hats and gloves and scarves and things like that. So those are some things that are um, 
item wise that we need. And I encourage you if you're interested, you know, pay attention to our Facebook page, our Instagram. We try to keep those pretty up to date with needs that we have um, going on with um, particularly non-cash items. And then as far as monetary donations, I mean, right now we, we, as we talked about earlier, we need to be able to pivot. Um, and so constantly we are um, trying to um, just figure out where the needs are and meet them. And that means we need money that we can use wherever the need is greatest. Um, while non-cash items are great, we, we don't have flexibility with that. And so cash donations allow us to use use your money, use your resources, and put it to where it's needed most at any given time. And so I'd encourage you, if you um, are thinking about supporting the ministry, the easiest way to do that is just to get on our website and go to lexingtonrescue.org and do the donate button. That's the quickest, easiest way. It's also the cheapest for us because there's less processing costs with that. So um, that's probably the um, the roundup of all the needs that, <laughs> that we have that I can think of at least. All right. Well, guys, Thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. I appreciate you guys and for all the work that you do for our community and, and to help build the kingdom. And thanks for spending an hour with me and just kind of catching up. And Jim, enjoy your retirement. Thank you. I plan to. And uh, Benson, thanks so much. And Laura, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. I, I look forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Benson Gregory. Thanks for joining us.